There's no such thing as a false positive fluorescent treponemal antibody absorption test for syphilis, right? I mean, that's a confirmatory test. FTA-ABS has been used for decades as a absolute proof of syphilis infection. Isn't that right? I mean, that's why we order that as a confirmation test. That's in the same class of family as MHATP, microhemagglutination assay for treponemal pallidum. Remember, the nonspecific tests for syphilis in this forward algorithm are RPR and VDRL, and then if those are positive, they get kicked over to the confirmatory test of FTA-ABS or MHATP. And once those are positive, I mean, the patient has syphilis, right? Well, is that always the case? Because having a wrong diagnosis here can have serious consequences for both social reasons and, of course, uh, interpersonal relationship and medical implications. I mean, there's nothing like treating a patient for syphilis when she probably doesn't have it. But you see, this is how we've traditionally learned something, that if A equals B, then C has to equal D. In other words, we find one way of thinking about it, and nothing can shake us from our thought. After all, FTA-ABS is a confirmatory test, so your syphilis must be confirmed. Well, let me give you an example of how that's not always the case, and published data for the last decades actually proves that, which is one of the main reasons that we're moving away from this forward or the traditional algorithm for testing for syphilis. One of our Facebook family listeners is out of Ohio, and she messaged me with a fantastic and really complex clinical conundrum. You see, she currently has a patient who is pregnant who years ago had a low-level positive RPR, but the FTA-ABS, the confirmation test for syphilis, that's the fluorescent treponemal antibody absorption test, was negative. False positive, right? That makes sense. Well, fast forward now to a new pregnancy where the RPR, again, assumingly still low-level positive, but now it's kicked over to a positive fluorescent treponemal antibody test, but it's only at about a 2-plus in intensity on the fluorescent screen. We're going to get into all of this and explain what these numbers mean in just a moment. Well, that's syphilis, right? I mean, her RPR is low-level positive. This fluorescent treponemal antibody is low-level positive. That must mean she has syphilis. Well, there's one big wrench in that machine, in that thought process. It's that, look, this patient is otherwise asymptomatic, has no previous history. She's been with the same partner, and there's never been an issue of syphilis uh, that's been thought of uh, of complicating this relationship, okay? Now, I know I'm not that naive. I know stuff happens. But we, I want to take this a little bit further down this road, okay? Uh, and yes, if you're thinking, oh, what about autoimmune issues? Well, it's a great thought. I asked that as well. It seems that ANA has been negative in the past. And even the antiphospholipid antibody panel checked once in the past was also all negative. So what do we do with this? This is a patient that is low risk for syphilis, but has a low level, guys, that's the key word there, low level RPR, and a low level fluorescent treponemal antibody test. Is this syphilis or not? Now, before we get into the easiest answer, which is just repeat it or look for another assay, which is what I recommended, uh, I want to get into this concept here of challenging the, the thought process that we all learned that a positive fluorescent treponemal antibody test is absolutely proof of syphilis. 
Well, you know, guys, in medicine, nothing is 100%. So we're going to talk about the false positive fluorescent treponemal antibody absorption test. Is that such a thing? The answer is yes. And we're going to go over some pretty impressive data here, which is one of the main reasons why people are moving away from this traditional or forward algorithm and now sticking to the reverse algorithm, specifically because of this very issue right here. So let's cover this clinical conundrum and provide provide some biological and evidence-based reasons why this patient may have low-level false positive results since she doesn't have uh, an at-risk history for this, assuming that this really is a false positive result. So we're going to talk about all of this in this episode. Here we go. Hi, I'm Ashley. I'm Ruth. I'm Zoraida. And we are Chapa's Angels. And this is Clinical Pearls. Yeah, syphilis is a big deal. I, I'm always on the lookout for it. Texas, as I've mentioned many times on the podcast, is one of the offender states. I mean, syphilis is just high in our state as it is pretty much uh, really against the uh, all the, the southeastern kind of, you know, border there. Um, it's just it is what it is. So everyone's very, very on the alert for syphilis and we should be. But getting this wrong has detrimental social and personal implications, right? I mean, if we tell a woman, hey, it looks like you have syphilis and they don't, um, that, that's a lifelong diagnosis that will follow the patient forever. And this is some of the issues that we're seeing with the traditional algorithm, right? The traditional was nonspecific syphilis serology like RPR or VDRL that's been around for decades. I mean, we're talking about like in the 1960s. Uh, and then if those are positive, getting the confirmatory uh, fluorescent treponemal antibody absorption or the microhemagglutination for treponemal pallidum MHATP. Okay, those are the antiquated tests. We've got new tests now. That's why most people are abandoning those and going to the reverse pathway, which uses a um, a different algorithm. It's an automated system to look for treponemal antibody that's very very sensitive. And then going, if that's positive, going back to a nonspecific for quantification of titer, like an RPR or a VDRL. And if there's a discrepancy, in other words, if the antibody is positive by EIA or CIA testing, but the uh, the RPR is negative, then somebody is lying, then it kicks over to another test, and it's not FTA-ABS. Okay? That's a whole different way of doing it. Typically, the referee in that case, in the reverse pathway, is TPPA, which is treponemal pallidum particle agglutination. Okay, it's a whole different algorithm. It's not the same one as uh, FTA-ABS. And the reason that they've gotten away from that one is because FTA-ABS, believe it or not, despite the decades of use that, that we've had uh, with it and all the history, it kind of sucks. I mean, now it was great for when there was nothing else, but we now know that there are biological false positives, okay? In the literature, that's called BFPs, BFPs, okay? Those are biological false positives. The trick is you got to figure out who really is a false positive because you don't want to miss syphilis. And at the same time, you want to label a patient as syphilis because it's a lifelong diagnosis. And then, of course, you start questioning your partner like, hey, what's going on here? Uh, so this is really a big issue. We've got to get this right. So before I get into some of the data, 
because uh, the short answer is as a spoiler, yes, you absolutely can have a false positive fluorescent treponemal antibody absorption test. Uh, and just because it's a confirmatory test in the old days, doesn't mean that it's 100% specific for it. It is not. Now, I want to be very clear here, okay? I'm not trying to somehow defend, um, you know, an incorrect test. I mean, the positive FTA-ABS has to be looked at, has to be looked at in the clinical picture. What's the RPR titer? Is it 1 to 64? And then a positive fluorescent treponemal antibody is, is positive? That's different. These low-level RPRs and these low signal intensities of fluorescein, that when they fluorescent uh, on the test, that are between 1 and 2 plus uh, are, are basically uh, questionable, okay? It's unclear. And, and that's some of the subjective nature of this. It's still manual. So when you actually run the assay and, and you put the little fluorescent you know, beads on it and somebody reads it under the, the fluorescent microscope, they have to grade it. And they're like, yeah, I think that's about a plus 1. I think it's about a plus 2. That's why it's so subjective. So if you can get away from some of that human nature subjectivity and make it more objective, like the treponemal pallidum particle agglutination, then the patient wins. We all win. Medicine wins. Okay? So uh, I I think I'm kind of going circular here, but I just don't want to get ahead of myself, and I think I already have. The take-home message here, folks, is that fluorescent treponemal antibody is a manual test. It is graded. All right? So I know we, we all think it's a qualitative test. It's either positive or negative, and that's true. But to make it positive is the subjective interpretation of the person reading it. And that's graded as negative, as no fluorescein, plus one, which is little spots of fluorescein on, on the on the microscope. Uh, there may be a little bit of highlights, uh, even up to two plus, which is like, yeah, still there, but not very impressive. And then three plus and four plus are true positives, all right? So if you ever see a fluorescent treponemal antibody ABS result that comes back and it says weakly positive, what that means is that it's like a one plus to two plus on the grading scale. Okay, uh, so it's not just positive or negative. It's what kind of positive. It should be really positive, three plus to four plus in the appropriate history to be considered a clinically significant find. Okay, see how complicated this is. That's why when we had nothing else and it was a forward pathway, this was good. This was all right. I mean, what else are we going to do? This has been working. But now the reverse sequence is much more uh, uh, sensitive. And we're going to go over why that is in just a minute, because you can totally have syphilis with a negative RPR. You see? And you're like, what? I mean, I, I thought RPR is the first one that goes positive. Absolutely. The nonspecific tests like the RPR or VDRL become positive very quickly. But the catch is, here's a clinical pearl, that those antibody levels can wane over time, even without treatment, y'all. Even without treatment. So if you get positive, you have an RPR that's 1 to 64, uh, and you never get treated, and then you go a decade later and you check it again, your RPR could be down to one to four. It's low level because they wax and wane, okay? So that means that some people potentially, especially if they had chronic syphilis, could actually have a reversion of their RPR back down to negative. They don't have to be serofast. They don't have to have a low level positive. They can go to like a one to one, which is basically negative, but still have syphilis. And if, if, you, if you don't catch that, you can potentially miss some syphilitic cases, all right? Because it all depends on that nonspecific test in the forward algorithm. Um, I, if you don't know what the heck I'm talking about, I know I've covered this in the past. The title is the reverse syphilis algorithm. Uh, so you can go back and listen to that. But but I do want to, to give that as a take-home message that nothing is perfect. RPR can be flawed. And FTA-ABS, even though it's a confirmatory test, and it's very good, 
it is very good, but the specificity is not 100%. Now, it's like 95%, but it's not 100%. And there are some biological false positives. Okay, now that I've said that, let me just briefly get into the treponemal assays. We talked about the nonspecific, VDRL and RPR, and, and those still have a role for checking titers, okay? Those are the only ones that give you a, a number dilution because TPPA is just positive or negative. Um, fluorescent treponemal antibody is just read out as positive or negative. Although, as we've already stated, to get you the positive, it has to be interpreted as above a 2 plus on the fluorescein scale uh, when you're looking at that under the fluorescent microscope, okay? But that's typically just read out as as either uh, weakly positive, moderately positive, or strongly positive, okay? Um, so now that we've said that and, and we get that, that titers still have a role because the only way that you you follow up treatment for syphilis is to see a fourfold reduction in titer, which we covered in the previous podcast. Let's now just briefly touch on the treponemal assays and why uh, treponemal pallidum particle agglutination is totally favored over the fluorescent treponemal antibody test because they're different tests altogether. Well, I was just made fun of. I was just told that I sounded manic in that last step. Did I sound manic to y'all? Uh, no, I just, the thing is, look, I, I have stuff I want to say really quickly and I want to get it out. And I, I like jumped to like three different lines, I'm um, three different paragraphs on, on my outline because I totally went ahead, but I couldn't help myself. Um, so I'm like, oh, this stuff is so good. And here's really what I find irritating is that, man, nobody taught us that, right? Nobody taught us that FTA ABS is graded on a scale in order to get that positive result. And I mean, I learned that oh, nope, once it's positive, you just got syphilis. I mean, you got it. And yes, in the vast majority of the cases, that's true. But like in this case, in our intro, this real case, this real scenario, it's a monogamous relationship, like there's, you know, no outside influences, if you know what I mean. Uh, very low risk patient, the RPR is very low level. And so the patient's like, man, I don't do I really need to be treated for it? I mean, I, I know it's no harm, no foul, but then I get this diagnosis. It's, you know, can we just recheck? And the short answer is absolutely. But if the first test was janked, probably don't check it with the same test. Check something else, which is what I recommended. Get a different test. Stay away from FTA ABS because there are some biological false positive, some BFPs. So check something else like the TPPA, treponemal uh, pallidum particle agglutination. is much better than the fluorescent treponemal antibody test. And we haven't even got into the reasons of why the FTA ABS could be positive. I'm going to give you some pretty cool uh, publications that were out there. Uh, but the importance of this, I love this, was uh, look what one author wrote in 2006 uh, talking about this very issue. Okay, So the title of this 2006 publication, out of, out of all things, is Dermatology, uh, Dermatology Online Journal. Uh, this is out of UC Davis. The title is, quote, False positive reactions in confirmatory tests for syphilis in presence of antiphospholipid antibodies. Misdiagnosis with prognostic and social consequences. End quote. That's the title. Wow. I mean, false positive reactions in confirmatory tests for syphilis. So there it is right there. It's exactly what we're talking about here. So these authors, the first author, uh, author is Gabriela Arangangara. Uh, who published this in, in 2006 out of UC Davis. I mean, it's right there. Yes, they are absolutely false positive confirmatory tests in some cases. So please don't send me ugly notes that I can't believe you're saying that all 
confirmatory tests are false. No, man, I'm not saying that. I'm saying in some low-risk patients, in the right situation, they could be false. And I'm just here to challenge that paradigm. Let a confirmation test is absolutely positive, de facto proof of syphilis. Yes, except when it's not. Okay, let's get back to the data. So talking about the treponemal-specific assays, okay, there's two main types here. There's the treponemal-specific antibody tests that are the first go on the reverse pathway, okay? So that's looking for IgG of treponemal pallidum, super, super sensitive, because it checks both IgG and IgM, okay? It's not just IgG, it's IgG and IgM. That's the treponemal-specific antibody test, the first test that's ordered in the reverse pathway. Okay, now... If you get that positive and then the nonspecific test that it defaults to is is negative, like an RPR or VDRL, which is possible, remember we said, because they wax and wane with time, then it kicks over to TPPA, that's treponemal pallidum partner agglutination. That's a different test than FTA-ABS, okay? Now, here's a great quote from an article that I found that's discussing this test. This is from the AACC. Okay, so this is out of the clinical lab people, uh, and the title of this uh, publication is Understanding and Improving Syphilis Screening. This is exactly what we're talking about here, okay? So again, AACC, this is the clinical lab people talking about um, the the syphilis tests and how TPPA is different than FTA-ABS. Oh my goodness, we all stop talking into my ear. Just for you guys to know, sometimes, because sometimes I'm not in the same room, sometimes we're like next door, or we can see somebody through a glass. And so I, I have a, a little, my little ear pod, and then they're talking to me when I'm doing this. I, the, the, the thing that they're telling me is nobody knows what the heck AACC is. I get that. Hold on a second. So the AACC is the American Association of Clinical Chemistry. I'm taking this thing out. This American Association of, of, of Clinical Chemistry, AACC. Again, it's kind of the lab people. I'm not involved with them. I don't know what else they do, but I know that they do a lot about uh, laboratory testing. And, and again, they have great stuff, but just not our world, okay? But then they go on to say why TPPA, and I'll post this reference on our reference sheet, has really taken over fluorescent treponemal antibody, all right? So here's what they say according to this article, quote, treponemal pallidum partner agglutination and these automated treponemal assays have surpassed fluorescent treponemal antibody absorption and MHATP in both sensitivity and specificity. This has led to a decline in the use of FTA-ABS and MHATP, end quote. So let's stop there for a minute. Again, they had a great purpose, those old confirmation tests. They're still around, obviously, but now, and if that's what you're using, I'm not knocking that. That's fine. Do it. Do something, for heaven's sakes, um, because we've got to screen for syphilis because this beast uh, is growing. But as, as the AACC has said, these newer tests, which have better sensitivity and specificity, uh, are taken over, plus they're automated. The AACC goes on to say in this article, quote, 
TPPA is still generally considered the most specific of all the treponemal assays. End quote. So remember, this is in the reverse pathway. All right. So the reverse pathway, you start with a treponemal specific antibody, kick over to get a titer, and you only get the TPPA if you need it. That's the referee. Okay. That's the most sensitive. Remember that. So if if the RPR or VDRL is positive with a titer and your antibody, the first test was positive, you just got syphilis. But if your antibody is positive, but the RPR, VDRL are negative, either you haven't converted yet, or it's been so long that it, it's just not detectable anymore, uh, but the TPPA will still be positive, all right? So that's why that's used as the final line as the referee when there's a discrepancy in the reverse pathway algorithm. It's not just what I think. Um, it's what the medical experts in the field say, either Infectious Disease Society of America um, those actually from the AACC that go, look, anytime you can take away the human aspect of a test result, right, would be like the manual read of FTA ABS and put that into an automated test like a partner agglutination, it's just kind of better, right? Because there's a subjectivity in the interpretation, the intensity of the fluorescein uh, when they grade the FTA ABS. So let me just briefly say how this is done, okay? So to do a fluorescent trepolumal antibody is a two-step process. It's pretty complicated. It's labor-intensive. So you, you do it. You look at the first screen uh, of the uh, fluorescein. And if it is anywhere from uh, a plus one to plus two, that's considered uh, equivocal to low level. And that has to be repeated, okay? And the, the grading is super subjective. But if you get a second test, if you do it again uh, on, on, a, on a repeat sample, and the positivity of the fluorescein is greater than uh, than two plus, then that's considered a positive read. Okay, but but that's the difficulty there. This subjective grading of it, if it if it's mildly positive, moderate positive, or strongly positive, is something that sometimes you have to ask for because it may not be. Uh, spelled out specifically on the lab result. Or if, don't, just don't look at the positive, but take a look at the asterisk. It usually goes with an explanation. This is strongly positive or weakly positive. And it's the weakly positive and a low-risk patient with a low-level RPR that's potentially problematic. Like any acute phase reaction, uh, fluorescent treponemal antibody absorption tests can be thrown off with pregnancy. I mean, pregnancy just is, does some weird stuff to tests. One of the first reports that actually reported on the false positive FTA ABS was back in 1970. Yeah. September 1970. I mean, this stuff is out there. It just takes time to kind of go over this data. But there it is. I mean, by, uh, by Buchanan et al., uh, the title of this publication out of JAMA Network is FTA ABS Test in Pregnancy, a Probable False Positive Reaction. Okay. And they're going to explain basically what we've, uh, we've already set up here is that these low-level positivities in a low-risk patient um, is kind of something that's confusing. And I want to be very clear. Yes, the short answer is you can always just offer patients three bicillin injections for syphilis of unknown duration, and it's totally fine to do that. But especially as we face a potential nationwide bicillin shortage, according to Pfizer, 
And more importantly, labeling the patient as potentially syphilis has some implications. We, we, we want to get this right. Plus, there's implications for the child. I mean, that's, this is, there's, outside of the cost implications, there's the big societal uh, implications and personal perspectives. You know, we're talking about postpartum depression, uh, interpersonal stresses. Yikes. Uh, this is why it's one thing that that's why we, we always look at the lab test, right? But we don't treat a lab test. We treat the patient. And the vast majority of cases, guys, I keep saying this, but I don't want you all to get the wrong message. In the vast majority of cases, the tests are right. But I'm just here, as I already said in the background and in the intro, I'm just here to challenge the thought process that a confirmation test is always positive, is always means infection. Vast majority, yes, but sometimes no. While the majority of cases of these false positive fluorescent treponemal antibody tests are due to uh, these acute phase reactions, mainly like pregnancy or other autoimmune conditions, mainly uh, lupus or antifossilibut antibody syndrome, it has been linked to some other kind of weird stuff. Now, remember that these tests, although highly specific, they're not all specific. And so some of these tests that are now considered, you know, older and traditional, like the MHATP and fluorescent treponemal antibody tests, can be fooled. Uh, there is data that false positive FTA ABS can occur in a variety of other conditions, not just autoimmune stuff. But autoimmune stuff is top of the list. Lupus, as we've already discussed, that's a big one. But also Lyme disease has been published as given a false positive test for FTA-ABS. So has Yaws and Pinta and Leptospirosis. And the last weird one, which was published back in the 1960s, was Rat Bite Fever. Yeah, I'm not going to touch that one. But the idea is, again, FTA, ABS can have some false positives. It's not 40%. It's not 50%. It's not even 30 or 10%. But about 0.5 to 1%, but somebody's at 1%, especially in a low-risk patient, may have some of these other conditions. But there's no doubt that the top category is some sort of autoimmune condition from lupus, um, to uh, discoid lupus or full S, uh, SLE, antifossilbut antibody syndrome. And then there's another weird condition that can interfere with this absorption test. And that's an abnormally high level of, of globulin in the patient's serum. So hyperglobulinemia, um, believe it or not, can cause chronic low-level positive states of FTA-ABS that are not found to be positive on treponemal pallidum a particle agglutination. In other words, a, a true, a false positive. All right, podcast family. So as we get ready to wrap up this discussion here, what, what are the big take-homes? Number one, yes, believe the test. I'm not questioning that. Believe that. However, as you believe that, you have to put that in the clinical context here. And in this case that we mentioned, the patient is pregnant. That's a flag. Now, she also did have a history of miscarriages, which raises the possibility of APA, uh, antifossilbut antibody, even though she was checked in the past and it was negative, it potentially could have could have uh, you know nitered in the antibody response there. So I recommended you know maybe consider checking that again. Uh, so believe the test, put it in clinical perspective, and then third, uh, it, you need a referee. That's the take home message here. If the, the clinical situation doesn't match, but the test is there, we don't want to miss something. Get a referee, and in this case, get get a parallel test. So that's I'm very thankful that now we have the forward algorithm and then the reverse. So just get get the reverse pathway and see what that tells you. So look at look at that same glass of water 
from a different perspective. Okay, so because if the treponemal pallidum uh, particle agglutination is is negative, or and the treponemal the specific antibody test is negative, then then that kind of rules out the active infection and kind of rules in a false positive. Once again, there's nothing wrong with the traditional forward pathway, but this is exactly the kind of dilemma that people get into. Now, on the pro for that, as the advantage, is there's only two tests to get in the forward pathway, right? Nonspecific, RPR, VDRL, kicks over to specific, which is MHATP, FTA, ABS. There's only two. And in the reverse, the criticism is, yeah, man, but then you got to get three tests if, if you need a referee. It's the treponemal antibody and then the nonspecific for a titer. And if it's discrepant, then you got to get the TPPA. And my answer is, yeah, and what? I mean, so it's not like you're calling the patient back. The blood's already there. Uh, and then you're ready in a sec- another test. I'd rather do the, the reverse, as does the CDC, because it's, it's, you, you can get better capture and you can avoid these issues with now tests that are considered okay, uh, but not as sensitive or specific as the newer tests. It's interesting that from the University of Michigan um, School of Medicine, under their lab interpretation for syphilis confirmation tests under FTA-ABS, it, it states it right here. FTA-ABS has been reported to be falsely positive in patients with diseases that can be associated with high levels of globin concentrations or or other autoimmune conditions. And they go on to say, in the absence of historical or clinical evidence of treponemal infection, a reactive minimal result should be considered equivocal. Now, that's the catch is what do you consider equivocal? What, what, what's, what is that? What's a minimal result? Some say one plus, some say two plus, some call it over two plus. So there, there's a little bit of, of grayness here, okay? Which is why FTA, ABS, if there's grayness in there, I don't want to have grayness. I want it to be black and white. We got to get this right. So if we take that out of the equation, the only way to take it out of the, out of the mix is to do the reverse pathway because FTA ABS isn't one of the tests that's traditionally used in the reverse sequence. As the last parting clinical pearl to leave everyone with, there's no problem. I'm going to be very clear, though I've already said it, with just treating this patient. There, there really isn't. I just, you know, there, there's so much label that goes with that, and it's a very unclear picture. If we didn't have any other way to figure it out, you got to treat her. I mean, you just got to, you just got to treat her. You got to protect the child. It's perfectly fine also to just repeat the same pathway later on to see if there's an increase in titers, uh, or look for a parallel path which is the reverse. So you see there's three different things to do here. Just treat empirically and be done with it. Fine, everybody washes their hands. That's a no-brainer, right? That's the no-thinking. That's the easy way out. And it's, and, and it's okay, and it's a good way of doing it. The second is to repeat the same algorithm, the traditional, the forward pathway. Just repeat it again in two to three weeks to see what happens. Okay. And then the last is run parallel. In other words, okay, I get that. I'm confused by, by this result. So rather than going forward, I'm going to do now the reverse. There is no wrong answer here. It's whatever the provider and the patient chooses as long as we're not missing or clinically suspect a high risk for syphilitic infection. And from what I gather from our conversation through the super complete, always thorough Facebook Messenger, uh, uh, it doesn't seem that the patient is, is at particularly high risk for infection. 
so I, I really suspect it's a biological false positive with the limited information I have. Let me be very clear, okay? I'm not the patient's provider. Um, but especially with the three history of miscarriages, I'm, I'm kind of concerned there. I, there. There may be something there from an autoimmune perspective. Anyway, I uh, hope that uh, that helps, Karen. Super interesting case. Just for everyone to know, I was doing uh, interprofessional sims today. If you follow our Facebook page, you can see some of my uh, both professional stuff and then some of the nonsense that I put on there. Uh, but that was this morning. And meanwhile, I'm getting you know text messages from the medical school. I've got my coordinator. I've got students going on. I've got undergrads. Blah. It's a typical day. Uh, but then I got this message from Karen. It's dropping my tracks. I'm like, oh, this is, this is a good one. I automatically put one of my undergrad students on it. I'm like, here's what I want you to search. A, B, and C. Look this up. Look here. Look over there. Look up this article article that I remember because this is a team effort and I retold the team who does helps me with the audio I'm like hey we're meeting in the afternoon at the evening after I finish these lectures uh, and we're going to knock this out so I'm very thankful for you all honestly for staying here to do this it's a team effort and I cannot do this by myself all right let's wrap this up All right, podcast family, we have covered the false positive confirmation test for syphilis. Is that a thing? It is indeed. It's not super common. It's not the de facto thought. Anytime that we get a positive confirmation test, we cannot go to, oh, that's absolutely false positive. That's not the take home message here. But the take home message is to challenge old paradigms, challenge traditional ways of thinking uh, and, and question things. And if it doesn't make sense clinically, then get ancillary tests. Keep looking, keep digging. That is what makes a good healthcare provider to fight for the patient at the same time, protect the baby uh, who's also involved in this case. All right, Karen, thanks for your message. Hope that helped. And for our podcast community, as always, we're thankful for you and we're glad that you're part of our podcast community. And we'll see you on another episode of Clinical Pearls.